This is Market Call. I am going to be joined by Liz Young today in the place of Guy Adami. He has the day off. We are sorry we are late. We didn't know Guy was going to be off. No, we didn't know he was going to be off. But then something <laughs> happened here. We're all good. We made it. We're going to bring you Market Call. Liz is going to be my co-pilot. But interestingly, we also have a very special guest, Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. You guys know him. You love him. He's going to drop in on some macro charts. We're going to hit some stuff there too. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by Tomorrow, and of course, SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. And obviously, we are powered by Open Exchange as we are each Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Liz Young, welcome back to Market Call. How are you? I am good. I think because Guy isn't here, we get to blame anything that goes wrong on him. Of course, him. we will. Fair. And if the if the, the bottom falls out of the market while we're doing his the market call, it's his fault too. Totally yeah. his and fault. you know, here's the thing. We have a, like a really good opportunity to have a bit of a reset, me and you, because I know on days that I've missed it and you've stepped in for me with Guy, it seems like you guys think you have a lot more fun than, than days <laughs> that I'm around. I mean, we are funny. I think Guy and I together are really funny. Yeah. Not that you're not. I just no, think that the funny, two of us together. Funny is, how. Is like it's a perfect I got you. combination. Well, let's let's let, let's talk about the markets here really quickly. We're going to get to your note that you put out on SoFi um, in, on their investing blog this morning, and um, I think I think you said um, it's not over till it's over, and we're going to look at some data points that you're tracking to kind of get a sense of when you think this market may bottom. Here, you know, here we are. We're at the midpoint of the second quarter right now, and I think that this week was clearly defined by earnings, despite the fact that most S and P earnings are out of the way, right? So we had, you know, Walmart and Home Depot and Target and the move out of Target yesterday to the downside down almost 25% was just astounding. The move in market cap terms um, by Walmart down 11% two days um, ago was also astounding, but it was more about what these managements had to say and how their earnings um, were getting hit. And so just curious, like your thoughts when you're seeing those sorts of moves, these are household names. These are names that not only a lot of people are invested in, but they also shop at, you know what I mean? So yep. it was a pretty surprising setup here this yep. week. Well, I mean, the market reaction was surprising. I don't know that 50% of what we heard from them was all that surprising. So we heard two different things. We heard on one side, inflation is cutting into our profit margins. Transportation costs are up. Input costs are up. We didn't pass it all on to customers. That should not have been a surprise to anyone. But I think the more surprising part was all of the inventory buildup and how off they were on forecasting what consumer demand would look like. I think this is a lesson in the idea that big companies can't change all of their plans as quickly as consumers can change their minds. Consumers are fickle. We talk about this a lot. They're fickle as far as confidence goes. They're fickle as far as spending goes. You can be a consumer on a Friday and decide that you're going to spend less for the next two weeks. Yeah. If you're a big Target or Walmart, you've got inventory plans that you've probably forecasted out a year in the future. You can't just get rid of it. So there is a shift that happened in consumer behavior, in consumer spending. The interesting part is that overall, the consumer spending numbers haven't broken yet. And that's part, yeah. we'll touch that in my article. But the spending numbers haven't broken. So the revenue numbers haven't necessarily broken, but they're changing what they're spending it on. And I think that right now what's happening under the surface that we're going to hear about next month or maybe even later this month is that consumers are having to make different choices. They're having to make trade-offs and we're going to see that in the data over the coming months. 
Yeah. All right. Let's hit some of that data, though, because, you know, we've been talking about it on Market Call over the last few weeks. There was some March data about um, consumer credit and how um, yeah. it was up pretty significantly in March, I think, well above um, some pre-pandemic um, highs and then revolving credit in particular. And I think that chart that we have up there, is, you're kind of showing that. So talk to me a little bit about you know, what your major takeaways were and, and what you think if we had a continuation of this kind of expanding credit at a time where interest rates are going higher, where we know that consumers are pinched at the pump. We know that there's a negative wealth effect from the stock market being down you know, 18% for the S&P 500, a lot more for the NASDAQ, maybe the potential for housing or at least values to come in. We know that we're seeing prices you know, still at all-time highs, but we're seeing affordability is really bad. So talk to me a little bit about some of those data points uh, that you're tracking as it relates to the consumer. Yeah. So a couple of months ago, I started talking about this and I hate saying things like I was right because I think it just sets you up to be wrong or get some bad karma going forward. But unfortunately, this time I was right. And I talked about this a couple of months ago because everybody kept saying we're going to be fine because the consumer is strong, the labor market is strong and the consumer will keep spending because of it. And I just kept thinking to myself, that can't possibly last forever if we're paying so much more for everything, food and all the necessities, right? And then you see all of this still revenge spending that's occurred. We also kept falling back on consumers have so much in savings. And yes, they had 2.5 trillion in savings coming into this. Now they still have 2.4 trillion, but they are bleeding it. And if they're not bleeding it, they're adding it to credit cards. So they haven't stopped spending yet, but I think they're going to have to slow it down. And the biggest point that I made in that note was that, as we all know, the market looks ahead. Economic data is always looking backwards. We're always talking about what happened last week, last month, last quarter. So there's a gap in time between the two. The market has clearly been forecasting some type of disastrous situation, and the economic data kept contradicting it. Well, now I think things are going to start to catch up and we'll see that economic data, things like retail sales, although I know they came in strong last week, I think the next print is going to be weaker. You'll see things like PMI, durable goods orders, all of those sort of activity metrics start to calm down. And that's where you get this loosening in demand, which should help inflation. And I said this this morning on a show that you call Squawk and Friends. Yeah, I do. That... (laughs) We talked for so long, theoretically, about what had to happen to bring inflation down. Well, now this is it. It's happening in practice. So we shouldn't be surprised that this is the result. Yeah, listen, you know, and we were doing this market call last year, and I was in the transitory camp, meaning like, you know, at some point we were going to see mid to high single digit CPI prints, you know, at some point in the not so distant future, you know, kind of get cut in half. And obviously, you know, the fact that we still have large parts of China locked down because of COVID, we have the shooting war in Europe and, you know, just a dramatic economic slowdown there and what's going on with the dollar. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? So for whatever reason, it's pesky and persistent. And Guy mentions in all those peak inflation readings, I think that's great that they're going to be off of a peak, but they're going to stay well above, I think, the Fed's target of 2% for a while. And it's going to continue um, to be a bit of a headwind. Um, you know, listen, I- I'll just say this. I took this away from the Target call. Listen to Brian Cornell and Squawk and Friends yesterday morning, the CEO of Target, when he said, yeah, well, consumers are trading down. They're not buying the big items like TVs, and but they're buying luggage. Let me tell you this. Just look 
at where Expedia is trading. Go look at where Airbnb is trading. I mean, like, like it, it, that doesn't actually make me feel better. That makes me feel like there's a CEO who did a very bad job forecasting his business over the last few months or so. And he's a great executive. I don't mean to say he's not, but you brought up that point before. Let's talk a little bit, Liz, um, about the broad markets here. And, and we're going to bring Carter in a second because he had a great video that he put out to his worth charting um, customers last night that I watched. It was a 17 minute video. And, you know, if I look at the S&P 500 here, it's down about 18%. You know, this thing is below. I mean, it is really in the danger zone if we're going to start using Top Gun Maverick um, terminology. <laughs> one of my right, favorite right movies. Here. I know. Let it rip. Well, it's coming out, right? So next <laughs> week is the, the next one here. You know, what, what do you make of this S&P 500? I know you're not a technical analyst, but when you think about the market in general, you think about sentiment is really bad. That's another thing that we've covered over the last few weeks, but it really hasn't seemed to matter over the last month and a half. The sentiment readings get worse and worse, and the market just keeps going lower and lower. And I'm just curious, you know, do you do you have a target for the S and P 500 year end, and where do you think it might go? And you know, when this thing is all over, I don't have a target for the S and P. But here's what I would say about the numbers: we've been flirting with this bear market territory on the S and P for a while now, and yeah. we keep kind of sniffing it and then backing off. I think we have to get into it. We have to just cross 20. percent the The hard part about this is that. You'd love to say, okay, we're going to cross 20%, go into bear market, and then we bounce. I don't think that that's what happens. I think we cross into bear market and then we stay there for a little while. And to Guy's point, you know, if there's inflation that sticks around, that's one yeah. problem. I think actually the problem right now is that the only thing that's going to fix this is the passage of time. Yeah. So when you look at the inflation readings, we're not going to get confirmation or even any more encouragement that inflation has peaked until at least June at the earliest, yeah. right? And even then, I think Jerome Powell said something about needing clear and convincing evidence that it had relaxed. That's probably not June. That's probably July, August, September, yep. right? Yep. So we have to get through some of this. And there isn't a huge positive catalyst as far as inflation and monetary policy goes. So we may cross into bear market territory. I think we could touch down 30% on the NASDAQ and stay below that for a while. Yeah. That's the thing, though. We just kind of trudge along in a trading range until we get some kind of catalyst to pull us out. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. Um, let's just look at the NASDAQ 100 real quickly. It is below the hard deck here. And you see where that technical resistance is up there at 13,000. That was the support in March. It was the breakdown level um, late last month here. Not a great looking chart. All right, let's bring in the aforementioned Carter Braxton Worth, our friend and yours, the chart master, Carter of Carter mm, of Worth Trading. How are you, bud? Got to go with that aforementioned. It's a great word. You know, you know listen, I, I mean, listen, I used to. <laughs> you haven't been aforementioned. Then. <laughs> you were. You were the aforementioned. Yes, I was. I, I want to get your take on this because I, I, I listened to your, uh, or watched your video overnight. You did some charting here, but I really want to kind of show um, our listeners, our viewers a little bit of what you're seeing here. I have a chart right here, a one-year chart. And one of the things that just seems very evident, if you look at these circles here, you know, since that huge rip that we had, right, in mid-March, um, you know, we've had a couple of little rallies here. You know what I mean? And, you know, in, in the S&P, I think at, at its lows last week was down 16 percent or so. And yesterday was just a bloodbath. If you look at how badly the uh, the Nasdaq was down 5 percent, the S&P down 4 percent. What is what do you make of it that the bounces that we're seeing now in this downdraft are just so much smaller than the one that we saw off the January low, off the February low, off the March low? What does that portend to you? Well, and also your sequencing that you've drawn, you can draw a third little 
uh, green yeah. circle, just the bounce that we had from yeah. last uh, Thursday's low, and then we had Friday to where we are now. The point is that those bounces actually keep this from being done. And, that, and that's the only way to characterize it, which is to say, if you're bearish, you want this market and think this market will go down and stay down. If you're bullish, that's what you want too, because then you can expunge it. That's what capitulation is. As long as you keep getting these counter trend moves that are six and seven percent, two and four percent, and they last two, three, five sessions, it means that basically there's still an interest in trying to call a bottom, buy a dip, that there's still capital, that there isn't uh, the real despair, uh, the, the giving up that's required. Uh, for the end of a selling period. Yeah. Well, you know, Liz just mentioned that she thinks what's different this time about if we were to go into a bear market territory for the uh, S&P 500. And the last time we saw that was obviously in the start of 2020 during the pandemic. And then the time before that um, was in late 2018. And they were very short lived, right? Bear markets. What do you think? How do you think about time, right? When you're thinking about all the damage that's being done, we've been talking about the damage being done under the hood for a very long time, the underperformance of small caps for a very long time. How, do you, how does that make it into your technical analysis? Right. So if you go to what a traditional definition, just as it would be for an economic data, yeah. not a blip, but something that is duration based. Um, in many ways, a shock to the downside, 1987 wasn't a bear market just because it crossed 20%. It means nothing, right? We know right now, for instance, the NASDAQ 100 is already down 30. Yeah. More than 30. The Russell 2000 right now is down 30. So uh, those, to some extent, are, they're no. It's a duration-based thing, which is really to your question. The, it turns out government intervention or not, the, the COVID is not a bear market, right? It was a plunge yeah. and, and, and a recovery. It was basically Feb 24 high, March uh, 24 uh, low. I mean, that's not a duration-based period where all or almost all stocks are in downtrends yeah. and all groups, sub-industry groups, sectors themselves, and the market. And so the proper bear is, and often associated with a recession, is something like 73, 74, right? Which is a two-year 50% decline or 2007, 2009, yeah. right? Um, or 2000, 2002. And so it's duration, it's magnitude, but it's the it's if you look at individuals' charts and, and many charts and many groups, basically everything's in a downtrend. Right now, yep. we don't quite have that yet. We are losing things every day, right? The staples are now succumbing, um, but still energy's holding up. We know that steel has come off a lot and metals and mining, but there's still holdouts. It's really not quite finished in principle till everything is has had its day you know, to the downside. I well, I agree, and I think that point will be when investors start to price in what stagflation looks like. Real quickly here, Liz just mentioned she could see the S and P five hundred down thirty percent. I threw a chart up there; it's a five year chart. I also read this tweet this morning from Bespoke that forty one percent of the S and P five hundred stocks um, have retraced to their pre pandemic highs. If the S and P Carter were to retrace to its pre pandemic highs around thirty four twenty or something like that, that would basically be a thirty percent peak to trough decline. I know that. This is not a particularly amazing chart. It's a good-looking chart from our friends at FactSet. Well, what's your take on that and Liz's thought that we could get down 30%? It's very reasonable. And in fact, what's also interesting, if you were to, to look at a long-term channel of this entire period, this period being 2009-2022 ascent, yeah. um, the midpoint of that channel is exactly at the 35 plus minus level, which is essentially where that projects to. And so it's a reasonable thing to, to consider. Uh, it's something that 
is as likely as not likely. And I think hope is still alive and we haven't seen uh, the end of it. And then there's this. Uh, look, the NASDAQ 100, the greatest performing index since its inception of any index, you can look that up, completed at the end of last year, 13 consecutive years of positive total return. No index has ever done that. Yeah. And guess what? It's the one that's on its knees this year. You know, you yeah. can only go so far. So the thing that led us up is leading us down. All right. Well, let's talk about one of these indexes that, that um, you know, Liz um, has liked o- over the last year and a half or so, has underperformed of late. But Liz, I want to I hear your thoughts on small caps here because they've obviously oh, been. Pro- well, no, but, but listen, they've been priced. <laughs> I, I think what's important is that they've been pricing in the potential for a recession or what a higher rate environment looks like, what stagflation looks like. And, and, you know, we just said it's just round trip, the entire move already. So it's been a leading indicator when it failed that breakout after that very long base late last year, the broad market, the major indices followed afterwards, you know? So I'm curious, are you starting to get a bit more optimistic about small caps? Are they starting to discount some worst case scenarios for a protracted bear market or possibly a recession sooner than some people think? Uh, yes. Well, first, a couple things. First of all, small caps are more representative of the U.S. economy than large caps because 80% of their revenues are domestic. So they're not as exposed to the globe. So when the globe is going through turbulent times, small caps should be more insulated from that and they should do better. However, traditional finance theory would tell you that small caps also are higher beta assets. So, you know, the NASDAQ is a higher beta asset than the S&P, generally speaking. So in a drawdown, small caps are likely to go down further than something like the S&P or the Dow. So I don't think it should be a surprise that they're down further. However, to your point of did they finally go far enough, I think they might have. And, you know, it's possible that they kind of do this trading range before the big indices do their trading range. And then we bounce. Now, what does that bounce look like? In in my opinion, what I think the bounce looks like, if it happens in the second half of the year, I think the bounce looks pretty cyclical in the U.S. So you see some of those financials come back. You see oh. the consumer come back. Small caps would absolutely be in that bucket. Obviously, they've done poorly so far this year, but I do think that they can come back, especially if Europe goes into a recession. That goes back to my earlier point. They're more insulated from global demand. They're more insulated from global turbulence. Yep. All right. I got you. I hear you. And, you know, again, on the charts, it probably looks like a decent level if you're um, if you buy into that thought process. You know, Carter, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about small caps and obviously high growth tech is that the speed in which rates started to go up towards the end of last year was kind of the death knell for them. It was it was it. Right. And so that was like the thing that kind of made the Russell turn um, once it had already broken out. Talk to us a little bit of your thoughts on rates. I know that you were in the camp of three percent, but it seems like you kind of changing your tune a little bit as the 10 year got to three percent. The Fed has been very clear about where they are going to take Fed funds. I think at this point we can take it to the bank unless the market really just imploded that they are going to raise 50 in June and raise 50 basis points in July. So give us your thoughts on uh, the 10-year yield or treasuries in general, I guess. Sure. So the, the thesis was that there was one unfilled gap, only one in the history of the data, uh, and it was left behind from 2018 that we would fill that gap and that would be about it. Um, the gap has been filled. And the important thing is that if you look at the 10-year, the five, or the two-year, not a single one has been able to exceed its 2018 peak. And that 2018 peak is lower than the prior peak. And the prior peak, all the way back to the highs of 1980, 
which is to say that the sequence is still intact. We have had a well-defined series of lower highs since the peak in 80, all the way through to where we are now. And rates are faltering, just as the dollar is faltering. And it all has, I mean, just what Liz talked about, the inventory. I mean, what, what was said from Target and Walmart, those are deflationary things. Stock markets going down is deflationary. It's all sort of kind of coming together in a nice moment in time. And you see the 10-year chart here. We could not get above the 2018 high. And that, that was the bet. Look at the five-year. I think we've got that here. And look at the two-year. It's all the same trade. And not a single part of the curve was able to get above its prior reference point. That means a lot. And it's not random. They're stopping right there. Yeah. And so the backing away here, the yields coming down, um, on schedule, and it shouldn't stop here, just as the dollar, I don't think, likely stops here either, uh, which is to say the play from my seat is TLT long, or, or if, you, if you're in Chicago or if you have an account, do it through the real bond. There you go. All right, let's look at your TLT really quickly. You know, I actually bought a little of a GOVT. That is an ETF that tracks treasury yields. Also, the iShares 20-year um, treasury bond ETF, the TLT, is one way to play it. Your charts line up um, pretty good. What, what, what sort of move would you be looking for in the TLT here? Right. So there's the reciprocal chart, of course, that's by definition, and it's down to its 2018 uh, low and not randomly finding its footing. Yeah. Sometimes reference points are remarkably helpful, just as the chart you had on the Russell 2000 back to where it started and then can make a judgment. It's the same thing here. And so the arrow's drawn because at least that's my thinking. Let's look at this chart another way. Uh, if you just take away the line and it's a double bottom. Now you could say, okay, so what? But Often, just as you get to a prior high, gold has a double top. You can make a bet at a moment in time. And the bet, I think, here is to play long. And we have a short-term chart, and I think it would sort of capture where, where we might go. In this minor period, this is just a month or so, we're, we're sort of knocking on the door of the upper band of the well-defined channel in which, uh, which TLT has been declining, right? Rates has been ascending. And so yep. I think one... You know, 132 uh, is is the max. Yeah. It, probably 122 to 125 is what's more likely. Yeah, so that's that late March, um, that late March high, which would probably correspond with the 10-year about 2.4%. Liz, what would you think it would take? What sort of data would we need to see, or how much would the stock market like? Like, well, I guess more it is about inflation data. What sort of mm -hmm. data would we need to see for the Fed to actually just start talking a little more dovish? Do you know what I'm saying? Which yeah. could actually really make this thing uh, kick into gear over the next. Uh, like, look, there's two ways. Okay, I'm sorry. Data that's really hot that speaks to inflation, right? Yeah. Or the flip side, stock market gets creamed and then they kind of take their pedal off the metal a little bit. I think there's two scenarios that could affect yields in the very near term. Well, I think the stock market getting creamed has already affected yields. But the yeah. data that, that the Fed talks about that I don't know why market participants don't pay as much attention to is inflation expectations. So the way yeah. that you can look at that in the market, which actually lines up perfectly with everything Carter just said, is that inflation expectations across two years, five years, and 10 years have all come down in the last two weeks or so. And that then it's no surprise that bonds are catching a little bit of a bid here. And Dan, you were completely right on calling the twos 
I have been talking about it. I did it on TV a few times. I know I've done it on Market Call, and I never say things like that, pounding the table without doing it in my own portfolio. I bought short-term treasuries, I bought seven to tens, and I bought high-grade investment corporates because it felt like this was that was a top in yields and it didn't make sense for it to go much further. So what the Fed watches is inflation expectations. I am sure that they know that inflation expectations have come down, but the interesting part is that two-year inflation expectations are still almost 4%. 10-year, then you get down into that two-ish, two-and-a-half-ish, 2.7-ish or something like that. So a little bit more reasonable, but the near term is more uncertain inflation-wise than the long term. So I think the Fed needs to see that come down further along with CPI and PCE cooling over the next two to three months. All right. We're going to be tracking it here on the market call here. Carter, you just mentioned the dollar. You think it has more to go, and that would be to the downside because you know when it broke out above 100, the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index, it made a beeline for 105 here, and it's come off now over the last few trading days here. Give me your take. This is my chart. I would never ever presume that you would make a chart. I mean, it looks great, but like as simple as this with just an uptrend and 150 day moving it's, average, but give it to me. No, it's, <laughs> it's the main point of that chart it's important, is what is the point of a moving average? A moving average is an automated trend line. You can draw trend lines, but then how many stocks can you cover? You'd be up all night with Inland Steel and Bethlehem Steel, 1970. You, you can't do it. And so you automate the process. That's what a moving average is, an automated trend line. And notice that that trend line drawn by you, Dan, and that 100 moving average are pretty darn close. The point is, do we come back to trend? Um, yes. And remember, you don't have to come back to it in day one. The trend line is rising as you go out yeah. to the right. And so over time, we can get back to trend, which is where the 150 moving average will be as it rises as well. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Carter Braxtonworth, we appreciate you dropping in. If you want more of Carter's stuff, you can go to worthcharting.com. Old-fashioned technical analysis. Nothing slick, just charts. That's the tagline there, people. Thanks, Carter. We appreciate it, man. Bye, Liz. Bye, Dan. All right. See you, bud. Bye, Carter. All right, Liz, let's talk about the dollar for a second, because I think, you know, the disaster du jour today is Cisco. And we know that 40% of their sales come from overseas, right? And the stock's down about 15% today. They had a big revenue miss. And I think what's interesting about that revenue miss is that, again, you know, we just talked about where the dollar is relative to where it was just a couple months ago. But the Dixie also, if you think about it, you know, quarter over quarter was up significantly. Year over year, it was up from 90 to about 104 when they reported. And so they had a big revenue miss. So a lot of the earnings misses we've heard about have had to do with inflationary pressures, right? Supply chain disruptions, that sort of thing. Now, you can have a revenue miss because of all of those things too, right? You don't get enough components or product that to sell this or whatever. But I'm just curious your take here because the dollar is definitely going to start hurting a lot of U.S. multinationals. Yep. And that is in line with what was a drag on GDP in the first quarter, which is trade, right? So as long as the dollar stays strong, we're going to suffer on the trade side, and that's going to affect U.S. multinationals. And and again, this is something that we kept talking about in theory. I think actually when I first started doing Market Call, I had an article out that was titled something like U.S. dollar making a holler. Yeah, and that was right when it started <laughs> right when it started its rise. 
And that was sort of exciting at the time, right? But now it's become a problem and it's a headwind and it's going to continue to be a headwind for multinationals that depend on revenue that's coming from outside of our borders. So that's something that I think will come off its high, as Carter also pointed out. I think that it does relax as inflation comes down. The problem, though, is that currency is a relative game. It's not just how much is the dollar worth? It's always how much is the dollar worth versus everything else. And when everything else is not as strong, the dollar is going to continue to look like the best house in a bad neighborhood, whatever you want to call it, the best looking horse in the glue factory, all those things. That's a good one. I know. That's one yeah, that's some good. That, that's some Wisconsin <laughs> stuff right there. All right. Let's listen. We only have a couple minutes here and I want to get a couple takes out of you on a couple sectors within the market. But I want to do it through the lens of a couple companies that are reporting earnings tonight. The first one is Applied Materials, AMAT. It is a semiconductor equipment company. Um, the stock is down 28 percent or so on the year. This is a cheap stock. They're expected to have you know earnings uh, growth this year, maybe maybe 15 percent. You know, we're going to find out what they guide to. Right. But that's what consensus estimate is right now um, uh, for revenue growth in, in about the same. So mid-teens with about double digits for both next year. Trades about 14 times this year, 12 times next. Cheap stock, been beaten up. Um, I could see a number of scenarios with some of these supply chain disruptions and deglobalization where a lot of chip manufacturers will want to build new um, manufacturing facilities at other places, maybe here, maybe places outside of China. So this one will be really interesting. I mean, I, I'm probably inclined to kind of lean to the long side on this one. I don't think you need to get in front of this by any means, because I think as a group, we're going to see lower lows here. But AMAT looks cheap. How do you think about the SMH? You know, the ETF that tracks the semis, Liz, obviously, it's a very cyclical group becoming less so when we're finding more and more of um, semiconductors and all sorts of products, you know, in, in all sorts of industrials. But again, supply chain issues are a problem. The SMH, if you take it back to last spring, it stopped to the penny last week to where the last year um, low was there. It looks like maybe it could bounce. I'm just curious your take on semis here. Yeah, I mean, we talk about semis as being the new transports, and I think that's partially true, but because they're up against supply chain issues and because we're going to see a relaxing in consumer demand and some of those hard goods and, and tech hardware is one of those places, I am not a semiconductor bull here. And I am completely okay with missing a little bit on the upside to wait for this to shake out. And to your point, if they want to change their operations, that doesn't happen overnight. So I'm okay with waiting until we have a better idea of what the future looks like for semis. Yeah, fair enough. The implied move on that one is about 7% um, in either direction. And I think Carter would probably tell you that that chart looks like a pair of twos. There's nothing there um, from the technical standpoint that leads you to believe um, that it should bounce or that it should create or listen, if they guide down, the stock's going lower. It's just that mm-hmm. simple. Um, so look out uh, below for any guide down. Lastly, you know, Palo Alto Networks. This one is really interesting. This is a cybersecurity name, still trades at a very fat multiple to sales for many of its um, software peers have absolutely gotten killed. This thing was at a new all-time high just last month in April, which is pretty astounding. They report after the close, the implied move in the options market is about 10% in either direction. This is a stock that was trading just below 650 again in April. And here we are you know, at these levels just below 450 or so. That's one heck of a move on a short-term basis. It's either discounting um, whatever news is coming out, or uh, I think some investors are really worried what comes out. It did stop to the penny. If you look back to the fall of that huge, huge earnings gap that it had, 
a miss and a guy down, it's going to fill in that gap and it's going to be on its way to 350. Curious your take, IGV, it's the expanded software um, ETF here, Liz. You know, Palo Alto's in it. This is largely Microsoft, Adobe, Oracle, some very big SaaS games. But man, oh man, on the chart, you look at where that thing has come from and where it is right now, 300 looks like massive technical resistance to the upside. Yeah, I mean, that's an ugly fall on that chart. But yeah. If you have to be in tech, I think software is the place to do it. This falls into the category of something that I keep talking about. This is a time where you look at valuations as an opportunity to buy long-term themes. Software is one of those themes, and I think cybersecurity is another one of those themes. You can buy a cybersecurity ETF as well, which I know I've talked about either here or on television somewhere. That one has seen some pain, but this is something where you're going to look back on it in five years, and I think we're going to realize these were really good bargains. I agree. If that is your time horizon, I agree with you there. I've been picking at the QQQ and a few other little names here. And again, I'm not trying to pick a bottom. I'm very prepared to kind of ride them down lower because I do think we make lower lows here. Well, listen, Liz Young, I really appreciate you doing some heavy lifting while Guy is out. It was a lot of fun chatting with you. You guys can follow Liz Young on Twitter at Liz Young Strat. And also her weekly blog comes out at SoFi.com slash slash blog every Thursday. We get to feature it here and chat with Liz about it. So thanks a lot, Liz, for joining us. Um, I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet and SoFi, and of course, Open Exchange that powers this program. Guy Adami and I will be back on Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So please tune in. Carter Braxtonworth will be with us. Liz, have a great weekend. Thanks. You too.